0: welcome to another episode of the shift Drink podcast i'm edward Assel, as always sitting here with arthur black hello arthur's a little bit jet-lagged from all the travel uh, he's been doing lately and ourselves included but uh today we have a guest i've been waiting for for pretty much since the inception of this uh, podcast we have alexander gabriel uh from maison Ferrand and plantation rums and all a ton of stuff, which we'll get into here in a bit. So welcome to the show.
1: Mm, thank you very much, bonjour. It's a pleasure to be here. Bonjour.
0: Yeah, like uh, we've definitely leaned uh, French-heavy in the last couple couple months of episodes. And it's now official, I've got to learn French. <laughs> you want to start now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It'll be the most confusing interview ever. Well, like. we, have,
1: we have some good rosé. You know, it's the way we start French classes, you know?
0: Always. Yeah, this is <laughs> yeah, perfect. Yeah.
2: Uh, serendipitous that we happen to have rosé in front of us right now yeah absolutely and we're doing this interview at like ten fifteen ten a.m which might sound late in the day to some people <laughs> i think it's really fucking early yeah <clears throat> well
0: i mean our our morning started at least a little bit uh later than than Alexandra's. he had to drive from northern indiana which i took probably about a uh,
1: pleasant drive it's great to be here really you know um uh,
2: Oh, it's
0: a beautiful drive,
2: right yeah. <laughs> I mean, Northern we, Indiana very, right. very, very easy, you know Oh, no it's problem. easy, yeah,
0: well, yeah It's not, not the most beautiful drive Actually, but, Southern Indiana you know, isn't southern bad Indiana is I tell pretty.
1: you, it's, I love the countryside It's why I live in France I think you meet the country Of any country you go to Not as much in the cities, but in the country That's what I like Show me some cornfields, some, some, uh, some vines Some, uh, you know, sugarcane fields I'm happy
2: and you live, you live in the Charente.
1: Yes, I live at the Château de Bonbonnet, in Cognac, where okay. we make uh, Pierre Ferrand and uh, Cittadier Gin. This is where we distill both. And uh, needing a, you know, same thing, little village. Um, uh, the little village I live in is uh, 90 people. And
0: um, that's, the people, yeah, that's a little village. I, I think that, yeah, that's the extreme of little village.
1: And you know what? I think it's great. And Cognac, the nearby town, which is like the mega pole, is uh, 18,000 people, all vineyards. 18,000,
2: that's about the same amount of people in Comar. Comar, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. I think they had 17,000 in Comar. Yeah, I think that's what they... That uh, was a good size. They said.
1: Well, the rest of the month, I live in Barbados and the whole country is... Uh, is I was in the Fort Wayne and uh, it's, uh, the town is much bigger than the country of Barbados, which is 220 or 230,000 people. And that's nice too. I like that.
0: Yeah, I, we, I would trade places with you at any moment. You, well, you said a, a, week, a week of every month in Barbados. Yeah, it must be rough. Well, before we get kicked off, uh, we always start every uh, episode with the same question. What did you have to drink last night? Oh, that's, how long do you Is have? Is it a long list? <laughs> yeah, because I know that you did an event
1: at the Golden. We did. We had uh, Oh, the, right on. Yeah, no, we went to the Golden. Great food, by the way. I suggest it. Memorable, totally memorable. I, lo- You see these gems. Some of the restaurants like this, there are gems you look for off the beaten track, as far I'm concerned. You know, from uh, Cognac to Barbados, it's not, you know, it's a bit of a detour. <laughs> and uh, I really enjoyed it. We did uh, a dinner with uh, whole sorts of, Delicious cocktails. Uh, that was wonderful, and also, uh, yeah, we drank uh, 1840 Pierre Ferrand. We drank uh, Saint Lucia Plantation. Very proud of that's one of our latest release. Just ten barrels, you know, um, esterification and volatile substances. One and one thousand one hundred. So a lot of rum packed inside the bottle, and that was fun. Uh, we drank Reserve Ferrand. Um, Sorry, I'm gonna overwhelm you, the long the rest oh, is yeah, very long. <laughs> <laughs> Jamaica, plantation as well, you know, vintage 2002. That was, you know So you brought good. the whole portfolio. Yeah, we did. And you know, look in moderation, you know, just Yes of course. Always in
0: moderation.
2: <laughs> Ed, what did you drink?
0: Uh I actually had uh a couple tiki cocktails, um and rum, of course, because um well A, yesterday was uh National Rum Day, so what? You, yeah. Um, so you know, no, they're, they're, there's a national something every day, but uh, yesterday was actually
2: National Rum Day. Yeah, man. We have one of those.
0: We have. There's a national everything, oh, but you Jesus. know, I only pay attention to the ones that are a good excuse to drink whatever I was going to drink anyway. <laughs> so, uh, but I made a um, uh, a falernum with rum fire last night and was anxious to try it, and then um, finished uh, the night off with a glass of vermouth. Sam. So. I had grappa. Yeah?
2: Yeah, and grappa is Italian for he who sleeps at table. <laughs> yeah. Well, you you look pretty out of it at this Yeah. Moment. Yeah, I'm, I'm just tired, man. I've just yeah. been traveling so much. and You're uh, recording eating. in
0: Eastern time, by the way, That's right. in case you're confused about your time zone. <laughs> mm, okay. You've been bouncing back and forth. But anyhow, uh, let's dive into it, man. Um you know, there's a lot of people out there, I think, that maybe don't know kind of your background and where you came from. Um, you were, were born and raised uh, in southern Burgundy on a
1: farm? Absolutely. I grew up on a farm, south Burgundy, making wine at a farm, uh, Polyculture. Uh, so, where,
2: in, where in Burgundy? Uh,
1: right next to Cluny.
2: There's a little town oh, okay. Cluny,
1: south of Burgundy. Not far from it. It's the Maconay and the Pouilly Fuisse. Uh, right, right next to Pouilly Fuisse. I'm a French redneck. This is where, this is what I... A French uh, redneck. Absolutely. There's such a thing. You're looking at one right now. (laughs) Uh, Absolutely. You look a little bit different than our
0: rednecks. Well, you know, different countries, uh, you know, but same (laughs) rednecks,
1: you know, and uh, absolutely. And that's why I feel comfortable in the country. I married a wonderful American redhead about, uh, uh, you know, 20 years ago, and she's more a city person. So I live in the in the vineyards in Cognac and she lives in Paris and this is how we found our happiness because you can't take the redneck out of the, uh, of the guy and that's what happens and that's <laughs> how we found our balance. I'm happy when I'm in the countryside. I'm happy when I'm in the fields and it's funny, you know, when came time to, uh, to I don't know what I'm thinking about this but our rum, as you know, I'm trained as a master blender in Cognac. That's a 20-year program with a guy called Jean-Francois Verger, uh, very talented, uh, uh, older gentleman and, uh, uh, you know, i um, Been running Ferrand all these years since uh, um, April 1989, Uh, so a little while ago now, and uh, I'm passionate about. I think spirits are create emotions. Don't you feel the emotions this morning (laughs) 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 from the spirits of lionite? And and my goal, and uh, you know, for me, the way I looked at cognac was a great cognac is the expression of terroir. Terroir kind of went out, at least of the perception, but I think of the essence of cognac. And being a Burgundian. Uh, I thought that reintroducing the focus on the wine aspect of Cognac, I felt, was my mission. And Cognac has, as you know, uh, six different regions. There used to be 15. I'm writing a book now on the history of Grand Champagne. You know, where it comes from, what it's what it's about. And the idea was to refocus and really create that relationship between the grapes and the final product. And of course, distillation, fermentation. and um, and right now, to tell you what we're doing, for example, every time we plant new vine, we, we, if it's on hillsides or hilltops, we use Colombard, French Colombard. I don't know if you know French Colombard. Mm-hmm, it's native yeah. of cognac. It's one of the grapes that's from there. And we think that shines through in distillation, the Ombre Pierre Ferrand. Uh, you know, for 20 years, we've been putting a little more French Colombard as we have more that is coming to maturation. Right now, we're up to uh, 10%. So we start, we, I, I always said when we reach 10%, we'll tell people because it's starting <laughs> to be meaningful. Because as you know, Cognac is, uh, 99% of Cognac is Uniblant. There's nothing Unibland, wrong with that. Yeah. But it's just, you know, I love diversity. I think our taste buds cry for excitement and excitement uh, uh, happens when you have a lot of, you know, of course in quality but diversity is an important aspect so yes uh, born uh, um, and trained in burgundy my grandfather was a winemaker and uh, i started at ferrand uh, i was 22 years old barely drinking age had a vision like i said you know for us terroir i thought was important to reintroduce in cognac and that's what we did i love grand champagne cognac so that's why i have a little bit of a uh, weakness as well for weak spot for uh, for Borderie and uh, you'll see in the coming years why uh, I'm applying this passion uh, to the future of what I'm doing and uh, uh, you know um, about 25 years ago while I was trying to sell my second hand barrels, you know we're a family business by the way so we're about 100 people now in different countries because we also own this industry in Barbados so if you include everybody everywhere and uh, about 25 years ago we're about Totally out of cash, broke, nothing in our pockets. That happens, you know, when your production freaks. And uh, what we needed new barrels, and I had these old barrels gorged with Grand Champagne cognac. I don't know if you know, but there's usually a barrel con- stores in the wood about three percent of the total content, two point eight to three point two percent. So you really care about what was in that barrel before because right. you're gonna get it back, whatever you put in there. And I've, of course, everybody knows that. And so if you have Grand Champagne, old Grand Champagne Cognac, you know, in that barrel, somebody's gonna care about, you know, uh, uh, buying these barrels. But at the time was a a big uh, barrel glut back in Cognac. I couldn't sell these barrels. So I said, what about going to the Caribbeans? It's not a bad trip anyway. And we met uh, (laughs) Thierry Garder from Barboncourt. His family used to be, he passed away. God bless him, great gentleman. And, Met him And I said, uh, "You like cognac barrels?" He says, "You know what? We're really longing for them." I said, "Wait until you hear the price. Cognac barrels very expensive." He said, "I know I know, so." And I discovered rum. It was really a ha-ha moment for me, because, you know, maybe being, a, I'm being reminded sometimes by my wife, the French guys we're a bit snobbish, and sometimes like, I'm like, <laughs> really? And, and I thought, rum, yeah, it's the party drink, you know? That's like 25 years ago. And 25 years ago, the rum offer was not the same, That's right? That's still
0: a perception that, uh, now, yeah. you know, we're constantly fighting you know there
1: but but you know when you look at what was on the market 25 years ago there was not that many mm. options and you know being a master blender we taste and, and there was a lot of always a little something wrong about the aging and i was like okay and then i went to the caribbeans and drank rum from the still and i'm like this thing rocks and what amazed me the most actually really the most and i think that's the beauty and the essence of rum is that sense of diversity of cultures heritage that translates in 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 the diversity of taste you know and that's why and and for me I, I found that fascinating now you can be in, in you know uh, in eighty drinking rum there, and then you go to Jamaica, and you got like the rum funk, this incredible taste. And then you go to Barbados, about the balance, the elegance, and you go to, uh, you know, each region is going to show you something totally different. And I found this fascinating, and, and that's a sense of terroir, if you think about that. Yeah, that was
0: uh, what I was going to ask you, because your definition of terroir is a little bit different than, than some people, because you include the people that are working with it, and like, the history of the distillery, Absolutely. and style, technique.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, we forget that, you know, uh, terroir, of course, to me, is uh, geology, climate. And climate, not only the way the plant grows, but also the way the spirit ages. But the hand of women and men making the product, hey, you know, uh, uh, you know, the artistry or the knowledge or the passion of what, how people make products will really translate into a different taste. Mm-hmm. And uh, anybody would argue this. I encourage them to go and see how high rum is made in Jamaica. And working with the, you know, what, you know, the mock pit with different cultures of bacteria. It sounds a little yucky. It's actually delicious. And, and that's, that's a very specific technique. And that's, that's terroir. And I find that fascinating. So with plantation, I really thought that would be incredible to do a range of rum that would really show, showcase. The different terroirs, use terroir not only as an end. You know, we have, I don't know if we, you know, with plantation, we have the vintages. Right. Uh, So if you buy St. Lucia plantation, that's what we think. Uh, that's that's really Saint Lucia that rocks. That's what we. Th- if you buy the uh, uh, Jamaica vintage, that's what we think is like that Jamaican with the what we call volatile substances. It's for fifty, five hundred. So a lot of rum packed in the bottle. If you buy a uh, Bayesian rum, it's like that elegant blend of pot and cullen still, which is the culture there. That's the vintage range. So terroir in that case is something we want to showcase. If we um, if we have the blends. When we do so, by the way, when you go, we go with these cognacs, these rums. I'm sorry, they are. are, (laughs) We make cognac as well. Straight, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) And when you you go with these rums, they really showcase that island and that year, that vintage. So it's not about balance; it's really about the intensity and the character. Now, if you go with blends. Then of course the master blender is trying to we're trying to find balance, elegance, smoothness, depth of taste. That's different. And so with plantation, if you see a vintage and an origin, it is something that's going to show like an extreme taste. And if you go with the blends, you're gonna go with the balance, the depth of taste, the intensity, the layering, and what we call in cognac le fondue, the integration of the blended elements. So that's what, we, what we do. You call it? Le fondu. F-O-N-D-I-U. fondu. like you The integration of the elements that are blended
0: together. So, speaking of blends, your flagship product is a Plantation Three Star. And I talked to you a little bit uh, before we got going here today that, you know, I I definitely think that you, in large part, are one of the reasons we have great access to rum uh, increasingly. Because there's, you know, after a plantation came into our market, you'd be hard pressed to find a bar that wasn't using it in their well or as one of their go to rums for a rum drink, you know, that's off menu. But that is a blend. Um, so that's the one product that you can see probably you're going to run across more likely than maybe the O3 Jamaica. All right. but, uh, but what kind of thought process went into that blend? That's a Trinidad, Bajan and Jamaican blend. Well, it's a
1: great question. Actually, you know, white rum, I never really thought I was going to, that was not our priority up front. I'm, I'm specializing in older, you know, spirits. And it took a crazy gentleman called Paul McFadden, a British guy from uh, London, We're at the bar quite a few years back, and he said, Alexander, love the range. We need a white rum. But we don't want like a neutral white rum. We want rum with taste, with what we call uh, substance volatile volatile substances, so elements of taste. But that's not uh, um, agricole, because agricole is wonderful, but that's more on the grassy notes. We need actually like that other corner of the pyramid. And I'm like, you know, the white rum market, little guys like us, we're going to get slaughters. We don't have deep pockets. It's really a marketing game. And we're so bad at marketing games. We're about the product. So I don't think so. And two in the morning, three in the morning, there's an angel share of spirits around us, you know, evaporating. And I'm starting to think. <laughs> Is that what we're blaming it on? <laughs> exactly. I t- I totally. <laughs> and I'm like, that would be fun. And I'm thinking what you cannot necessarily create in a white room, the layering and the depth with blending different barrels from different age, you can create by blending different terroir. You know, because remember what we talked about, rum's got this so interesting diversity of taste, which I'll defend with my life. You know, sometimes people try to put rum into boxes. We talked about that earlier, like Spanish, French rum. uh, Yeah, you know, English rum. This is total nonsense. There's not such a thing. There's no, this- Really, don't put
2: any stock in that.
1: No stock, doesn't hold water. Let me just, two sentence. English rum, right? Mm-hmm. You put Jamaica and Trinidad together. What's, what's the common point in taste profile between Jamaica and, and Trinidad rum? Side by side, there's more difference between Jamaica and Trinidad than Trinidad and, and a Central American rum, for example. And you can, that, your palate will tell you that in half a second. And mm. you put that in the same box. To me, it's like saying French wines are all the same. Say that to a Sancerre guy and, <laughs> and a guy from, uh, you know, Sauternes, that their wine
2: stays the same. They're going to find it a little funny. I think I might have drank some Sauternes last night, too. <laughs> <laughs> Did it taste like Sancerre? <laughs> no, no, it didn't. Well, they're uh, good. But it complemented the grappa. I would think
1: absolutely. Would cushion, <laughs> cushion, would really cushion the effect. I, 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 think, I think that was a smart decision, by the way. <clears throat> So the three stars really was to create layering with blending. So the base of the three star is uh, is um, is a Bayesian rum, an age, Barbados rum, uh, pot still, collin still. You know, uh, Barbados has that long history. People in Barbados don't throw anything away. Very conservative people. So at a distillery, when they buy a new equipment, and they don't throw away the old one, they like push the other one a little bit and then
2: shoe in. Very very conservative. Uh, huh? Totally conservative. It's kind shoo. of like the Irish.
1: I guess they shoe in the new one, and so. You know, and they kept that, and Barbados claims to be the guys who invented rum, uh, you know, in terms of documents, this is where we find the oldest, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, historians will tell you, this is the oldest reference to rum, is the early 1600s,
2: Barbados, a long time ago. Is uh, is that Mount Gay? Is Mount Gay Barbados? Marbe- 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 yeah, okay. that's yeah, know, yeah. They claim to be like the oldest operating rum distillery, I think. Yeah. yeah
1: that could be but you know uh uh, uh and they claim beginning of 18th century right yeah. you find rum uh, documents about rum drinking in the early 1600s in barbados which is mm-hmm. wow think about it you know that's quite a long time 400 years ago <laughs> that's a long time a long many years of rum drinking and so the base of three stars is Barbadian rum barbados rum and then we add some a little bit of Jamaica. Keep it in check. We don't want a big rum funk to take over. You know, we just want it in check. So a little bit of i Estus from Jamaica. And then uh, uh, that's unaged. And then some Trinidad rum, that is aged two to three years in trinidad they use rums that on uh, barrels that are not exhausted so you get some of the vanillin and the whiskey lactone from american oak just a little touch of this i don't believe in charcoal filtration you'll never find charcoal filtrated spirit with us because we think charcoal filtration strip taste i respect anybody doing it but we will never do it
0: yeah there is a hint of a there's like a yellow tint to You're the, right. the that that's star. the reason
1: and at the end I was finished with the blend. I'm like, this is great, but could use a little something. And so we add the current vintage of Jamaica, 2002, right now, 2001, just just a little bit, two or three percent in a final blend to just give it that little je ne sais quoi, you know, uh, to the to the blend. So that's three stars. We decided to call it three stars because uh, you know, in cognac three star also is a, is age reference, but also more importantly, in the Caribbeans. Uh, these three islands are so proud of who they are, and they all think they're the star of the Caribbean. So we thought that would be fair to call each one of them a star. You know, the Jamaicans think that the only country that makes rum is Jamaica. Bayesian think they are the old England, they are very educated, very polite, and they have used to be the administration center of the, uh, you know, uh, Windward Islands. And then, of course, Trinidad is like New York on the water, very diversified, extremely dynamic. So they all think the other ones are uh, trying, and they're it. <laughs> and so we th- and we love the three of them, and we think... So the idea here, to finish on this, was to create a rum that's got depth and complexity by using different terroirs and to create... Well, we talked about the fondue, that integration of taste to, to create something that'd be interesting.
0: Yeah, the uh, Trinidad rum has changed over last 100, 200 years, but the, right. do you see pot still rum still coming from Trinidad at
1: all? No, no, no. Pot still in Trinidad has been gone for quite a while now, uh, you know, um, and uh, and uh, that was a choice they made. The Trinidad, you always had a lighter state, taste profile compared to the closer islands, and 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 so it makes sense that they went to uh, Cullen 100%. I mean, if you ask me, I would I would I would get a pot still there, but you know uh, they do they do good rum, and so uh, you know uh, for us we needed that depth of taste with the other you know that adds some pot still elements.
0: <laughs> nice, Arthur.
2: Yeah, my, I like my, your ringtone, man. DMX ringtone just kicked <laughs> in there. <laughs> Sorry, guys. No problem. Um, so, uh, people are doing continuous. Yes, you know, uh, Trinidad
1: used to be a, a few distilleries. Now it's down to one Trinidad distillers. And, uh, you know, and it is continuous disti- you know, distillation. There's two uh, types of columns in Trinidad, ones that produces light rum and one that produces rum uh, with uh, more texture. We buy from the one that produces more texture.
0: Before we go um, too crazy on the rum end, because we could definitely do that. We could turn this into a four-and-a-half-hour uh, episode. But... um you also make one of my favorite gins, um, Citadel. Um, and I think a lot of people don't realize that that is in your portfolio, at least uh, consumer-wise. They don't realize it's still part of the same company, but I think it's interesting how you came about to making Citadel, uh, because that was kind of early on. That was the first spirit other than Cognac that you started producing, right?
1: No, you're right. Yeah, We're production guys, and imagine you run a distillery that's 10 pot stills, and you know, I don't know if you know, but Cognac can only be distilled in the cold month. on on april 1st if you're not done distilling cognac tough luck you have to call it brandy and you lose the right of the whole batch you distilled first because cognac doesn't believe in sulfites for their wine so the wine is not kept fresh with sulfites so it can only be kept fresh by distilling as soon as you can so on april 1st it is forbidden to distill cognac so you have the pot stills just sitting there that that, happened nothing happens to distill. so we decided you know long time ago I was a young rookie and I said why is this sitting there that was 1996 when we launched Citadel there was no gin craze I was in England I went to Netherlands I went to all different countries that produced gin or geneva and I always remember an old british distiller in the streets of London, we're there, and there's a hearse that passes by, and he says, "Here goes one of my customers." So that was not <laughs> <laughs> that was that was not quite a trend, as you can imagine. So we didn't go for the business opportunity as you can imagine. We were not in the funeral business; we were in the gin <laughs> business. So um, we we decided to use our nice little cognac stills. They're beautiful because I don't know if you know in cognac, by law, you know the distillation has to be done with open flame. This is the last region in the world where it's actually mandatory. What does it do instead of using steam uh, uh, jackets or steam uh, heat exchangers in every still? You have that open flame that creates that nice, what we call Maillard reaction, caramelization at mm-hmm. the bottom of the still. Right. And, uh, that is very important in defining one of the many elements and, and sides of cognac.
2: And it from memory is, is the capacity of a still 30 hectoliters that's a, the a max great
1: capacity? point yes it is theoretical capacity 30 hectoliters uh, okay. uh, uh, um, actual capacity 25 for the second distillation people sometimes for the first one can use 100 or 120 hectoliters capacity for the uh, the second distillation is never more than 25 hectoliters okay. physical capacity in 30 theoretical capacity at Ferrand all our still are small which is 25 <sighs> hectoliters we don't use Big stills, and look, imagine you're in my shoe. You'd have done the same thing. You have these beautiful little stills, just sleeping half of the year. The team is there, and we kind of look at them. And I said, let's make gin. You know, when I was young, and in, uh, in France, the drinking age is a little lower, and in the U.S., we'd go out and we'd drink gin tonic. That was the thing. And I always thought, you know, being trained as a distiller, and was just thought there could be so much more in gin. You know, gin is about layering. You can distill so many stuff when you make gin. Really, the only limit is your imagination. So we decided to make an artisanal gin in our cognac stills, and and, and that was a lot of fun. And we launched it in 1996, and, you know, when you're young and... That took you know, a little bit of work to get yeah, to that point, though, right? You yeah, didn't get immediate permission. Five years, yeah. five years, yeah. French customs didn't agree that we should be able to do this. We were able to convince them. And... Uh, after five years. After five years. But you know, when you're young you think five years is an eternity. And that was actually was a gift because we got to really learn. We could talk a long time about gin, you know, about all how you create layering, the open flame distillation, what's the impact. We developed a technique called progressive infusion. Also we use the low swamp next. so we get a lot of essential oil with Citadel from the uh, botanicals. So, you know, it's an extra dry. You got this, you know, no sugar, but you get this mouthfeel from the essential oils. So that was Citadel. Then we even aged gin, uh, you know, where, where reserved gin was considered kind of crazy. That was 2008, the first batch we did. And that was uh, our venture into gin. And we still make Citadel. So in the winter, you come see us, the distillery smells like cognac, and in the summer, the distillery smells like gin.
0: It's a beautiful gin. Uh, Thank I you. I very often it's a go-to for me to uh, for a half and half martini. Thank you, thank you. So for our listeners out there, if you don't know what a half and a half is, I mean, it's just uh, equal parts uh, gin and, and vermouth, and hit it with a little bit of, I like a little bit of uh, orange bitters in there as well. I, so. I
1: love the half and half martinis. This is the way to go.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's just a small, we're, we're barely like chipping away at the block of your portfolio here. Um, I'm obviously a little bit more focused on some of the cool, like, vintage stuff that you've done in the releases and I see the bottle of St. Lucia over there which Arthur and I were just uh, uh, fresh back from France so and I was able to snag a bottle I keep asking uh, Guillaume who's uh What's his position? Vice Uh, president? Guillaume
1: is the uh, the boss of everything that happens in the Americas for us. He's been working with us for 19 years. He's like a brother to me.
0: He's amazing. He's definitely the guy that you're more likely to run across uh, floating around the States because you just visit the United States once a year. Once a year, absolutely. And, um, yeah, man. So I've been begging him for a bottle at St. Lucia for for years. And he's like, well, just come to France. (laughs) So we did see one and, and snagged a bottle. But speaking of some of the, like you talked about the uh, diversity of spirits and in, in rum, um, I found it really fascinating to go into uh, France and see kind of the availability of, of very different things. I mean, I knew I was walking into a market much larger than, for agricole than it is in the United States. I mean, um, when we did a tasting at, uh, at a store, you know, um, the gentleman there was, just, was shocked that we could get agricole in the United States. And uh, he's like, what can you get? I was like, oh, we, you know, I named off the brands. He's like, oh, so like the normal stuff. (laughs) But what I I did notice was that stuff, uh, a a lot of rums that we can't get here or, uh, and that you have access to. Um, Reunion Island, I saw a lot. And here, I mean, there's like a couple, you know, at least in our market. Um, And then also Claron from uh, Haiti, which we don't see at all. Um, Both of which I've seen, both of those countries in your vintages. Uh, I've got a bottle of no. You know what? I take that back. I tasted one of your Haitian vintages, and then I also, um, gosh, uh, I've, well, Paul <laughs> McGee, you did a you did yeah, the, the uh, uh, Reunion Island for years. Paul McGee at, at Lost Lake. Yeah. So I actually have a couple of bottles of that sitting at home from Paul. So thank you, thank you, Paul, for that. <laughs> we love Paul. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I was I found that fascinating that like those when we, I would go to a bar and just order, like a daiquiri, almost immediately they would reach for like a claire from Haiti. Um, so that I've, I, just the difference in, in palate between the two countries I thought was pretty fascinating.
1: Well, you know, that's, you really touched on something crucial is the diversity of rum and the beauty is in that diversity. And that's why, you know, when I see people trying to just box in rum into certain things, I'm like, this is not rum. Rum is about making a Clara in Haiti, it's about making an Agricole in France, it's about making, a, a, you know, a, a very high esters in Jamaica. Or making a, Right now, we're going, I'm going to let a little secret on you today is uh, where I'm working with uh, Fiji distillers to do uh, Fiji expressions. Why I'm fascinated with this, the sugarcane varieties in Fiji. You know, I thought I knew sugarcane varieties like the back of my hand i felt like a a new kid on the block you know because they're using a great you know a a native Sugar canes and yeah, we forget actually sugar cane comes from Southeast Asia. I was going to say it comes yeah, right. I mean we're talking
0: that's OG cane right there. So for us, (laughs) uh,
1: it's true, and for us, it's kind of fun. And so we're gonna do you know pot still rum from from Fiji from my good friend Liam Costello there. Uh, You know they still produce their own uh, their own molasses there. So that's the beauty, and that's what we try to showcase with plantation is is to and you know being trained as a master blender. You know, we can actually know, we, we, we know how to, to just bring that forward and make it shine. And, and that is something it's very important to understand about rum. And that's why every time rum tries to emulate whiskey or stuff or, or, or any other spirits, I'm saying rum's got so much to offer that it should really be its own. Even in its culture, it's in terminology. You know, you talk about, you go to Jamaica, they say, that's rum has funk, you know, or or in the old days, they used to say, it's got hogo, you know, that's Jamaican. Or, it's got what? Hogo.
0: It's hogo. poorly pronounced French. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hogo was, uh, was it's like not strong, used anymore, smell. but it comes from... Uh, you know, the aristocracy in the Jamaica, when they liked the rum that was really intense in taste, they would say, you know, the English in the old days was speaking French, and they'd say, this rum has, c'est un rum de haut goût, haut goût, like you have haute couture, high taste. And of course, after three or four generations, you can lose your French, I guess, and the haut goût <laughs> becomes hogo, <laughs> which I love the more. I think it sounds very nice. And uh, and so the hogo is what now is called the, the, the rum funk, right? The highest terrification, obviously. Yeah. And, uh and that's I love the I love that culture I love that terminologies and I think that's 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 also what's fascinating about rum and with plantation we try to really showcase this, and we go all the way you know uh, s- s- we bought a distillery uh, as you know uh, in Barbados you're which, reading my uh, mind cause I, I was which, like getting ready to which, ask about uh, that uh, West Indies rum distillery which is a very old distillery that also owns a third of Jamaican uh, rum national Jamaican rum which is a third of Long Pond and also Money Musk and uh, and uh, you know, uh, to me, it's like, I can't believe it, the little redneck from Cognac, I'm ending up you know, being there with my hands into the production end, which was always my dream. It was gonna happen one way or the other. We cannot do a product where we're not involved in production. And, uh, and that was so much fun, you know, and it is. It's just a dream come through. But the day we finally signed, I called all, all of the guys, my friends that we work with, with plantation from each island and each country, telling them, hey, guys, this is what happened. But we're still going to work together. <laughs> but a lot of them beat, beat me at the pole and called me. I was, I was in Barbados. <laughs> what the hell, man? And they say, so I guess that's it. I said, that's it. What? We're not going to work with each other anymore. I said, you're kidding me? No, I, unless you, you don't want to. We're going to continue. It's not because we bought a distillery in Barbados we're going to drop all these other expressions. On the contrary, we are very fascinated by the idea and continuing with this. Sure, now we have a hand in production in these two islands. We're going to, you know, you know me enough now to know that we're going to do stuff for sure, you know, and these two islands are fascinating and the, the team there are great. You know, we fit right in. I know these guys for 15 years, very intimately. So... That's part of plantation, and yes, we do Barbados rum, you know, and so that makes sense. We can do stuff at fermentation level, you know, using very specific techniques uh, you know, uh, West Indies rum Distillery is right on the beach, right on the water. So talking about terroir, that's got a good influence also on the way the the barrels are going to mature. So that's something we want, we want to use and continue to exciting. fit in. Very yeah. exciting. Absolutely.
0: Well, and you, like you talked about the diversification, I mean, just having a distillery in Barbados doesn't give you kind of access to all those, uh, St. Lucia or Fiji or, uh, reunion Island. And so, yeah, I'm glad to hear that you're continuing forward with that. I was very excited to hear the news. Um, not only because it's fantastic that you're taking over uh, West Indies Rum Distillery and see what happens with some of the other bulk rums that were being sold out there. And I'm sure we're all excited to see that, but it was also that that stake in uh, Long Pond and Money Musk, which very excited about that, Absolutely, you know. Long like, yeah, you know, uh, this is your first uh, distillery outside of France, right?
1: It absolutely and Longpont reopened uh, ten years, ten days ago, ten yeah. days or, or fifteen days ago. There was a big ceremony. You, you were at the was, cutting, right? Of course, yeah. And Longpont was closed for for five years and it's reopened. So it's a uh, distillery from the 1700s that's breathing again. That's fun. That's, that's history. Awesome. That's history just coming back to life and you know a long pond did the right thing you know to to characterize a uh, uh, rum in uh, in jamaica there's a, what they call the mock pit you know a culture mm-hmm. bacterial culture that works into the fermentation people think it's really dunder dunder is just an, another name for vinas being, being introduced in right. fermenting stillage. tank yeah. not necessarily it's another it, name for what? Uh, another name for Vinas. You know, what's left. How you call that in English? The uh, What's left after you distill, right? Uh, oh yeah, this, yeah, what's uh, left into the but, still.
0: Um, Dregs. Mm-hmm. The uh, Yeah, so yeah. the muck pits are kind of the um, you, uh, bacterial culture. yeast kind of culture yeah. that you've got going. Um, you don't often get access to go see them if you happen to go be doing a distillation tour because it can be a little shocking to see, but... Uh, not for the true rum geeks, which we're always begging. You and know. also it's part of the
1: little secret, you know, everybody's got yeah. their bar- And you know, when a distillery shuts down in, in Jamaica, the way to keep the bacterial culture alive is to dig it into the ground. Right. And make sure it stays wet. And the, it's like a little rave party that can't that con- continues. <laughs> it's I like guess. a little rave party. And they're, and they're, <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's ready and then uh, as long as you keep the rave party go, going then you can actually use it back you know so you just uh, keep feeding the ecstasy ex- into the pit exactly <laughs> that's what happens and, uh, what the fuck <laughs> yeah, is, uh,
2: rave party okay so that's yeah.
1: that's that because it's really alive and it's really interesting in taste profile and taste flavor and that's the culture there and you know also uh, so yeah Jamaica is such a you know, an incredible also rum origin that I think it's a, it's, it's a, it's a privilege to be able to be part of this. That's well, for you're sure.
0: definitely one that doesn't like to sit still when it comes to new projects and getting your hands dirty and figuring out what new, cool, weird thing to do. So I'm sure there's some stuff you won't talk about that you've got plans for with uh, your new distillery in Jamaica. It's a little early,
1: You know, very often, <laughs> I mean, we're here talking. I think the best way to talk is to open a bottle, pour a glass and drink and uh, the... Uh, Reality of things blind tasting taste the products see what happens So my way to talk more is what's in the bottle and I I hope you will like what I say You know in the coming years that's going to be in the bottles.
0: Well, I'll tell you what your rum has been highly well-received and Some some of it has gotten or at least temporarily became very difficult to obtain um, I wanted to ask you about I remember you distinctly saying at Tales of the Cocktail, what was that, uh, 2015, that when you released the um, Plantation Pineapple or Stiggins Fancy, whatever you want to call it, um, this was an experiment. This will not be available commercially. Uh, You're not going to see it anywhere but here, so enjoy it. That, I mean, the the tasting that year at Tales, I mean, immediately, we all know somebody that went, so within... a an hour or two, the rum people immediately heard of this. You know, like what is this? What is it? And you worked with Dave Wondrich on developing that. Yeah, it is now commercially available. It you is. <laughs> So true. that uh, I remember again seeing that interview with you, and like, oh no, it will not be available. And it is. Uh, it was hard to get for a little while though.
1: Well, in Europe, it's still hard to get. Uh, we we I always work on ten or fifteen different things that we do, and most of them don't make don't see light up day. Uh, I did a tasting at Tales of Cocktail this year, uh, where Guillaume called it the uh, Chamber of Secrets. It's all the products we make with the team. I got a team of, uh, I used to have a team of older guys, but they're retired, and I have a team of young guys working with me at production, and we always work on real
0: stuff. And, and I saw a video on YouTube uh, of uh, the YouTube. presentation, uh, okay. and yeah, it was fascinating <laughs> of some of the some stuff you were stuff rolling that out. that are
1: not gonna make market because they're not legal in terms of category. Not that they're bad, there's just you know the AOCs are just right not there yet. Yeah, like a
0: Columbard brandy. Uh, yeah or? well
1: which would be but for example a cognac age in the chestnut barrels, which is not a cognac anymore, for example, you know, and just Cognac's done it for three hundred years and you're like, why not, right? And so I said, guys you wanna share this? We share it. And and sticking's fancy pineapple rum is the same thing. Dave Wondrich is a good friend. He's a I I call him the intellectual gourmand, the gourmand intellectual, which to me is the two qualities that I I find a a great, great in a a human being, especially when he's real nice like uh, David. And he was the one like saying, you know, you should really make like a true 19th century uh, pineapple rum. I'm like, you don't need a guy like me to put pineapple, you know, flavoring in a rum. I don't, I (laughs) will never do this. And he's like, Alexander, that's not what I'm talking about. And he sent me a patent from the uh, uh, 19th century that called for using the bark, you know, the rinds of pineapple, and it got my wheels spinning. And as you know, we, I created a, a product called uh, uh, you know, the, the Curacao, which was such an education for me about using the bark, the, the, the skin of the fruit, right? And I thought that would be neat, actually, if we distill this. And and sure you know I, I you got intuitions right I just had that that taste stuck in my mind and most of the time I'm disappointed I imagine a taste and we struggle I'm never happy you know I'll try to make it happen this one for some reason just happened right there and so we peeled we, for three months we ate pineapple for breakfast because <laughs> I, my team couldn't see a picture of a pineapple they were like Alexander it's enough. That's why my wife doesn't live with me, you know. It's so <laughs> too intense. And so, because I want, I you know, I, I live in the vineyards. I know cane also for, for rum, but I don't know anything about pineapple. You have to learn what you don't know. So I wanted to pick the right pineapple. And, and believe me, pineapples are so different. Now I know very well and, and we, we smelled you know we smelled the pineapple because we knew we were going to use the skin and then we ate the flesh every morning some of them sucked and it was terrible breakfast some of them were like wow you <laughs> but know. you continued to eat yeah, it yeah you know? well, of course and we continued to experience and then one day we found like the Victoria pineapple from Rainier island just talked about Rainier. it grows also in Mauritius it's just incredible the, you smell the skin it's like perfume yeah the flesh melts in your mouth so I'm like that's great and the guy who well, it's The only problem is the most expensive pineapple. Like, okay, usually life is like that, so that's fine. So we ship it into cognac. We're afraid it because pineapple is either not mature enough or either oxidized, you know, like, so you really have to find that tipping point. We skin the pineapple, infuse the skin into plantation tree stars we just talked about, white rum, run that through the still to just capture the essence, the perfume from the skin. And then the flesh we infuse it in the uh, plantation original dark which is a dark intense rum and then we blend the two just like that just a matter of balance obviously put it back in a barrel just so you create fondue and integration and that's it and we made two barrels uh, the first batch was made in the kitchen at the chateau we have a little still in the kitchen and uh and you know experimental and. Uh, With David, we say, we're going to drink a barrel. It's going to take a little while. And then the other barrel we'll give to our friends. Uh, You know, the guys at Tales of Cocktails, the caps are incredible. I do presentations. They work like dogs. We owe so much for these guys. And we say, we're going to give a bottle to each that we would sign. And next thing I know, we receive letters, love letters, hate letters, like, (laughs) just please make this available. I'm going to hate you the rest of my life. And my wife and I usually don't talk about, you know, uh, uh, work because like once again we don't see each other just enjoy it. one day we're in bed like this and i'm reading and she's like you're gonna make more of the pineapple right i'm like what is it a conspiracy like it's even in my bed you <laughs> they know, call they started calling exactly her. who's pushing like, you
0: is there anything you can uh, I, do with your husband
1: there and i called debbie who said i called uh, uh, um dave one and said what do you think "Alexander, i told you all along so we said okay let's make another batch so we made another batch and uh, when we launched the Curacao, the, we first launched it in Europe. And the US couldn't have it for a couple of years. We needed to beef up production, you know, we don't want to beef it up too too fast, so quality is respected. And Guillaume, who you mentioned, said, Alexander, Stegins Fancy Pineapple Rum. It's not Europe. It's the US. So the US has, uh, you know, uh, the lion's share of the, the you know, the Stegins Fancy. It's oh, okay. all made with the fruit. But, you know, uh, we do it only in season, no frozen yeah, food, uh, know. you know, and we have three days to pie the, peel the pineapples. We had to take, every time we have these three days, we have to take people out of retirement in the little village I told you about. <laughs> so the grandmas and the grandpas are peeling the pineapples so we can make uh, Stiggins fancy.
0: Thank you so much, grandmas and grandpas.
1: Absolutely. You know, they, they, owe, they, they we owe a lot to them uh, and the team at Ferrand because we peeled uh, a few months ago 9.2 tons of pineapple oh to make God last batch so that's why and that's how it came to life and it did and and so we run out of stock very very often because when it's off season it's yeah. off season we, we're not going to change that ever it's always going to be fresh I, mean, I
0: think everybody that uh, is on the retail end is very well aware of how limited uh this product can be because every year we get approached by our sales reps like hey all right here's how much we're going to get into the state or whatever and how much do you want i think this year we bought I think 70 percent of what was available in the state <laughs> uh, between two of our restaurants. But um, well, thank you. Obviously, the tails roll out was huge, and you know, rolling it out, or at least not rolling it out, but introducing it to bartenders down there is what created that kind of buzz, and everybody going crazy about it. And then you subsequently you followed that up by one upping yourself with the OFTD, which is pretty new to most markets. Um, but you introduced that at Tails as well, correct? Absolutely. Well, the the, the master blender who trained me always say I, I've learned. You
1: know, training is you taste sixty to eighty spirits a day, and it sounds like a lot of fun, but you do it every day in a very critical right. manner. Yeah. There's been uh, nights. One day I always remember it was three days into the job. I, I was I hadn't done my flight and my notes, and I said I, I felt beat. You know, working hard uh, at the uh, uh, at the distillery. And i was in my i said i'm going to take a warm bath i'm in my bath and i'm doing my little tasting and i'm drinking too much and the glasses are floating and the water in the (laughs) bathtub and i'm like is this job made for me really you know these moments of doubts and by the end of the bath i decided yes and this guy was a tough guy and he said to me one day i had made a blend i said this is a good blend right it is it's good and i'm like you don't seem happy good is not good enough it's got to be memorable. Something you drink—it's like a good book. Goodness is not good enough. It's got to be memorable. And I think it's right now that a spirit should be met. like you drink it. You go, wow. You know, your taste buds have to go and dance on you. You know, in your mouth when you drink something special. That's what I'm trying to do. And and we had an overproof rum before, and it was like that kind of good. You know, it's nice. It's a nice, but it's a strong good rum. And there's a lot of overproof rum. They are a strong good rum. But what about trying to tap into the real essence of overproof? What is it? And I spoke with Guillaume and I said, you know, what do you think? We should look at it and he said, Alexander, you always I have worked with a lot of master blenders or master distillers and he said, Why don't you put a team together instead of being you know, doing it and, and put it so we decided who are we gonna get? And of course my good friend Dave Wonrich gave us, you know. Depth of knowledge with history.
0: You put a hell of a team together to put this rum.
1: Absolutely, Paul McGee from Chicago, great guy. Uh, you know, uh, Paul McFadden, uh back in uh, the guy who you know helped me put three stars together. Uh, you know, um, I mean a whole team. You know, uh, Jeff Barry. You know, uh, Barry, who, Martin, know great Kate. Books, Martin Kate. Martin uh, Kate. You know, uh, of course, uh, Scotty Shooter Scotty, from yeah. uh, Dirty Dick in Paris. So the whole team together. Which a special
0: shout out to Scotty and his crew there. We haven't uh, had a chance to touch on that, but we had some of the best cocktails we had in Europe
2: (laughs) there. Yeah, just great,
0: I mean, just mind-blowing drinks. Guillaume LeBlanc, thank you so much for taking care of us. I love Guillaume, I love that
1: his team. We have them with us in Cognac and in Barbados. They're great guys. So put the team together, and I told them, I said, it's not a democracy. You know, we're only making gum decide if we make a product or not, and it will be made only if we all agree. Because all these guys they, they think, oh, well, well, this is what overproof should be. So we started the tears actually in a, at Arnaud's behind closed doors. I had brought stuff, fly esters, all different stuff in my luggage. I went to the nothing to declare line you know, because I thought it would be hard to explain and had little syringes, <laughs> test tubes, and we started doing different stuff. And I showed them pre batches, and they're like, well, and 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 i worked six months on it we worked like that we had like 50 different proposals but 12 that we really presented everybody reconvened in cognac for a week and, uh, and we really, are, you know, I, I, I knew from the start, the idea would be to blend different terroirs. And obviously, you know, an overproof is about the intensity of taste. So we use, of course, Jamaica, but we wanted the Jamaican funk to be kept in check. Then we use, uh, uh, of course, Guyana, you know, Guyana. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's also is important. It's a little more rustic, but intense, if you use like the potstick Guyana. And also we use Barbados. And uh, so Scotty, everybody was there, we're together. and. day after day we were fine-tuning chiseling i had them taste many batches of rum that we have back in france we have a farm now that dedicated to plantation and at one point uh, you know we felt we're getting there and and oftd was born i mean in a moment where where uh, I don't know if it's correct to speak like that uh, on uh, on the podcast but uh, David stood up they went rich and yelled oh fuck that's delicious and we said OFTD of course, <laughs> and, which the label says old fashioned traditional yeah of course but, yeah. You know, it's, it's to harder tell.
0: to label uh, oh fuck that's delicious on the grocery store shelves I thought you know you have the
1: VSOP cognacs I think the o- OFTD uh, rum would sound pretty good and we're, we're, <laughs> we're looking for a name and, and Dave who knows the pirate stories like nobody else was saying there was a uh, some some pirate calls like nasty face or shit face or something like this. And I said, you don't call a rum shit face, and so, you know, and we're trying to think and I thought OFTD would be fun. And anyway, that was, you know, we work hard so we can have fun once in a while. And that was the, uh, that was the birth of OFTD, which is an overproof rum plantation at 69% alcohol.
0: Yeah. I can't imagine the work that went into getting those guys in the same room at the same time to do a tastings. I mean, just being a restaurateur myself, I know how insane that is. And I know Martin um, and he's constantly somewhere traveling all over. So to pull all of them in their schedules together to create that. Uh, and I think that's really cool to collaborate with all those guys.
1: Well, I think it's the first time something like this happened. And I'm so glad that I was part of this. And, and also, you know, these guys came themselves. They came with their know-how. Martin came with uh, uh, some uh, lemon hearts dating back from like 50 years ago and, and, and on. Uh, you know uh, Jeff Berry also had like some incredible old uh, you know uh, overproofs and so, yeah so that was fun I must say I must say and I'm I'm glad to see the product around this um, I say that modestly it's a great honor to see now great bartenders using the product and I love to sip on it just as is you have to go slow at 69 yeah, yeah
0: it it is easy to sip as well uh, you know I, apart from the rum I mean, you've got so much going on in your portfolio but uh, another uh Kind of division you you do handle uh, liqueurs as well. You've got the Matilda liqueurs uh, available. Well,
1: fruit liqueurs I've done very early on. I grew up in Burgundy. You know, uh, every little farm does a cassis. You know, in Burgundy, so I've, you learn how to make cassis. Actually, I don't know. You know, when you're a kid, you know, uh, in Burgundy, at my time where I grew up, I'm 51. So we're not drinking soda. You know, on weekend, my grandmother would take cassis. You know, uh, a liqueur and put a Perrier in it, and that would be, that's delicious actually, very thirst quenching, a little bit of ice, and that's what we would drink, and be would be kids, you know, but, and it's delicious. And, and so we're around, and, and making a liqueur is very easy if you have the right fruit, it's the right infusion. So we make a little bit of liqueurs, and I think it's fun, I've done it all these years, and that was kind of a, like, for me, a natural. I grew up around it all the, all the time. Liqueurs, there's two secrets to a good liqueur. It's very intuitive. The first one. The second one is not intuitive. The first one is getting the right fruits that are very ripe, not the fruit you buy on the market. They're like, your fruit on the market usually look great and tastes like uh, not good. And uh, uh, the fruits for liqueurs are the other way around, you know. And they're they're very intense, but they're like mushy. And, you know, the, the idea is not the look, it's the taste. Also, the second secret about liqueurs is there's always a little thing to do that's like the maker's twist. Let me tell you. A great uh, pear liqueur has a little bit of quince. So now, without the quince, it's just one-dimensional. You need a little quince, the pear tastes even better. A, little, a great cassis has a little bit of very, very overripe uh, um, raspberry, for example. So each one's got that little twist. And, you know, I, I, I grew, up, grew up around this, so that's why we have this little... It's a very limited production, you know, liqueurs like Mathilde.
0: Yeah, the, uh, so what you're talking about is just kind of a, a complementary flavor to, like, lift the, the yeah, main uh, right. the to flavor bring of the spirit. forward
1: the main flavor absolutely and so that's kind what of pushing that forward that, that's what it is in french we call that mise en valeur as a technique like a great calvados from paydos has a little bit of of pear for example not to taste the pear but to bring forward the apple you know and that i look at gin making the same way right with citadel we use the other botan- botanicals not necessarily to taste them yes you, you need you want a little citrus notes yes you want to feel the little warm flavors that are the spiciness of the islands, you know, kind of thing. But it's really to beautify the juniper berries and not toning it down just to beautify it. That's also to mise en valeur, uh, to bring forward. Same with Curacao. We made Pierre Ferrand Curacao. Curacao is an orange liqueur. I don't know if you know, but to make a great orange liqueur like Curacao, you actually use elements such as the skin of walnuts that you dry and infuse into cognac, not to taste it. It's called vegetal infusions to make the orange taste like like no other oranges. These techniques are very, very ancient. Uh, I've learned them from my grandfather. And, uh, and, 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 and they're, they're nuts, they work like crazy, you know, if you do it right. And if you mess it up, it doesn't taste good because it takes over. It should be that little thing that, that brings forward the main element. I love this guy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you. he's also really into the history. And like, so you have access to like very, very old texts. Yeah. Uh, I've lovely. read that you work with uh, helping people evaluate, you know, vintage spirits and things like that in the yeah. auction houses. And in return, they give you first shot at You're a right. old text. You know old everything text. about me. I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty cool. I mean, that, that's, you know, that, yeah. that makes sense with your relationship with they Wonder. The, yeah,
1: you know, I'm a little bit insomniac totally. That's why I got this. I look like shit, you know, (laughs) basically. And uh, so what I do at night, I just read these old stuff and, you know, I can taste from a recipe. You know, I got that going for me and so I use it, right? I can taste it. So I just, I'm in my bed, like, sipping spirits from books, you know, from old recipes and it's kind of We're in bed sleeping spirits from glasses, so. (laughs) Right, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so, and it's true. And, And so, you know, The beauty about spirits is we forget 19th century Europe was crazy about producing these incredible flavors. We only know 10% of what these guys were drinking. And yes, it was very elitist. It was really for the rich. There's no doubt. I'm not saying it's good. It's bad. It's just the way it was. But some of these recipes and the only thing about cognac, there's no book about master blenders. There's like notes, but liqueurs you can find. And some of them actually make horrible liqueurs. But if you just start digging, you can find, pull out these little gems. And I think that's fun. You know, and I got a team. That's why you know we're fiercely independent at Ferran. We're, I say, a, a team of misfits having fun. Because if we belong to any kind of huge con- company, I've been fired probably every morning. <laughs> when I came with a new idea, they'd be like, "You don't belong here." But the beauty with Ferran, we can come up with a product in in just you know sticking's fancy distilling the skin of pineapple, right? Well, that was fun to make. And if people think it's fun to drink, we love to drink it. Then 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 we're happy. This is all we asked for.
0: I read recently also speaking of some of those historical, uh, texts, um, about your Renegade Barrel project. <laughs> okay. Uh, are we going to see any of that? Or are you, you yeah, want to so talk about that a little well, bit? Well, you know,
1: I, a lot of people think cognac is just this grandpa's drink. I guess you did touch time. on it earlier with that. Uh, yeah, really. And, and, and cognac is so vibrant. It's alive. It's an incredible spirit. And, and, and in the 19th century, cognac was very diversified. You look, I, I have a book that's incredible. That's a book from 1904. That was an engineer that was trying to understand and characterize cognac. And we look at pot still shapes and, and methods that are like, we look at it like, really? And, and why not, right? And I've discovered in the archives of Ferrand some invoices of Eli Ferrand Eight, the guy that was uh, uh, born in uh, uh, 1839, was aging cognac in chestnut barrels. And that was actually, apparently, now we know from documentation, very common in cognac. Now, since 1945, it's illegal. So, and we respect the law. This is the law. We have to, to run by it. But we are trying to evolve it, you know, and, and go back and tap back into this. And you know what? We, we did it. It's delicious. It's just crazy delicious. We tried some actually a tears of cocktail and, and we're going to release it as a renegade barrel. And uh, it's a tongue-in-cheek thing. You know, yes, it's actually, it's, it's very traditional, but it's renegade in nowadays standards. We cannot call it cognac, by the way. Right. We're going to yeah. call it, age we cannot even call it brandy because really? brandy oh, brandy has to be a, a oak barrel so we're going to call it aged grape eau-de-vie on the back you can say it's made with cognac as the law you know you can do this and we want to respect of course the the the, the, the framework as it is now but we want to try to open it back up so that's the renegade barrel po- uh, uh, production of ferrand all cask proof uh, you know, the first one we did was cognac that was aged in a sautern barrel. And that's actually legal in cognac. And it's delicious, you know, because the idea is not to give it a sauterned taste. It's to bring certain elements, certain facets of cognac at that age point that are there, but that you can bring forward by a very special barrel. And that's what we're doing. And so it's usually 10 to
0: 20 barrels every year. And some of these uh, <laughs> bottles are going to make it to the uh, to the U.S. Oh, super. We'll keep our eyes peeled for it. Um, any other new projects you're working on that you can <laughs> that you're allowed to talk about i know well, some uh, of the like you said a lot of the stuff that you brought to tail's never made is never yeah, going to make because it to market it's just experimental you know uh, it's it's uh it's fun
1: that's the m51 now it's my little midlife crisis you know <laughs> getting these products out to market and uh, and i know i feel i can do it now you know i got i got this experience under my belt 20, 20 28 years so i've learned a couple of things you know with all this time and, and yes, there's always something, you know, you're going to, if you keep your eyes peeled, there's going to be something called Extreme Collection in Citadel, which uh, is an old tom made with toasted eight sugar. Uh, and the second Extreme Citadel is actually a gin where we distill. Yeah, additionally to the, 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 the mash bill that we have for Citadel, we use the petals of... Uh, of cherry tree and we aged the same gin into a barrel made with that cherry tree, with with a cherry tree, and so you get like a double take and it's delicious, so we're making a few bottles that are gonna make it to market uh, next year. So these are the little things that are in the wings.
0: Wow, so <laughs> that's a lot, mate. I feel like in the last hour we've covered about every facet of uh, everything you do, but uh, yeah. Um,
2: this is the least amount i've spoken during any podcast (laughs) sorry well there was an
0: episode where you were not feeling so well from
2: i don't even no but i mean he has just like gone and gone and gone and it's been cool but like i i haven't had to say anything so much to digest yeah just like rock on keep talking yes and keep
0: making uh, like and that le- kind of leads me to what I was going to ask. You know, as we get ready to wrap up, like with all of these things that you've done over the past twenty eight years. I mean, what's the mark that you want to leave on this industry? Like when we look back, fifty years from now, hundred years from now, at at Ferron, uh, what do you want people to remember, Alexander Gabriel, but for doing to the for the industry?
1: Uh, it's an interesting question. I never thought about it. I'd like to leave a mark on people who drink the products today. Uh, my goal—it's—it's it's just one goal. Somebody opens a bottle, they love it, they hate it, but emotion happens. That's my goal. That's a unique goal. I don't mind saying something. They
2: love it, they hate it, but emotion happens.
1: That—that's all. You know, some people write books. I make boots. <laughs>
0: You got the cooler job.
1: Uh, yeah, it's fun. I like it. You know, as a, you know, sometimes tractor breaks down or you know, s- you know, shit happens sometimes. But yes, it's a lot of fun. And uh, or the boiler explodes. You know, stuff like that. Which we which we did talk uh, about. It just uh, happened, right? Yeah, right, right, just right. it just did happen as well. You know, <laughs> we're, we're getting a new one. But yeah, stuff like that happens. So you know, it's not like you know, Christmas every day. But it it's true. And and so in hundred years, I don't know, probably everybody will fuck out about me. But you know, um, and that's okay. But really, today, when we do stop it's really, honestly, is this, is what this guy who trained me said, memorable. You know, you drink it, and when, you, when we made the St. Lucia, for example, you, you, you guys know rum extremely well, but I want your taste buds to say, thank you. I never, I never went there. I guess it's like, I don't know, I'm being French a little, but it's like writing the Kama Sutra for taste buds, I guess. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's, that should be on your business card. <laughs> Alexander Gabriel writing the Kama Sutra for your taste buds. <laughs> I don't know.
1: It ma- must be the rosé doing
0: that to me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we always wrap up uh, every episode with a couple questions, but one, uh, is there a social media that you guys uh, have out there so that people can kind of follow you on Instagram or Facebook so, or Twitter? So, we do.
1: I'm not on Facebook, personally. I'm just uh, back on the farm, but we are on Facebook and on Twitter with Plantation something or Pierre Ferrand something or Citadel something. I'm sure. sorry. I should be more no, Go out there. About search this, it. You gotta, I told so. you. Uh, French Redneck, remember? <laughs> you know, so, uh, <laughs> these things for me are, uh, Well, I respect them, I know, but I have a great team. Look, I just also want to say... One thing is, and I mean this so deeply, we're not a company; we're a community. You see, uh, Victor has been five years here with us. Guillaume, almost twenty years. I'm yeah. Victor Bouvier is right behind exactly, us. Hey, Vic. And, and, you know, So we these I wouldn't. You know these products wouldn't be there without the team. We're sharing a dream, and 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 this passion, and it's teamwork. And I love when the guys. You know, I always say, just let's try to blow each other's mind with incredible ideas. And like I said, I had the. I used to be the the youngest one in the technical team. Five years ago, I became the oldest one of the technical team. I got the new generation. <laughs> <laughs> We've just been joined, and I salute him by a young gentleman called Nicolas Malfondé, who's from my region in Burgundy. He went to the same high school. He's a PhD. And I told him, you know, Nicolas, and, uh, you know, you're a PhD. You know science, but science for spirits, it's only 20% of the equation. So if you don't use your nose and your palate, Nicola, you're only be, going to be 20% of a master blender. So if you want to grow into a full-fledged, you need to use your nose and your palate and, of course, your PhD knowledge. But this is a new generation at Ferrand right now that I'm training.
0: All right. Uh, well, thank you so much. Uh, but we do have one last question for you. We usually ask people what their best
2: hangover cure is.
1: Hmm. You know, for me, it really depends what I had the night before. I tend to believe that you can, like, counter the effect
2: with something else.
1: Very often, i Wow, I'll so this is... This, this is, is getting is, deep. Right,
2: genre-specific. Sp- uh, we okay. say grape
1: to grape, cane to cane, you know, kind of thing, you know, so depending what you had before, and don't know how true it is. I tend to, I'm going to surprise you, I tend to go, when I get up, you know, to go if I feel, like, really kind of... I don't drink a lot of coffee, so I'd get, like, a coffee with a shot of, like, like, or a shot, or a little tasting glass of like a, a, a cask proof, if it was too much <laughs> cognac, <laughs> cask proof, you know, a, a cognac or cask proof rum, or, you know, a, like a, a funky gin that we made with some special, special uh, something we're working on. And it just gets me going.
0: You know, the first time I ran across that particular kind of uh, ideal was in Italy. Uh, my friend Domenico introduced me to, he's like, hey, you want to grab a cafe caretto? And I'm like, I don't really know what that means, but I'm like, coffee? Corrected. Correct. All right. Yeah. I'm like, so I'm like, well, we're not in the United States. So he's talking about let's go get a cafe, espresso. That's why I assumed. Mm-hmm. We get there and we order our uh, our. Cafe and it's like, yeah, they hit it with the espresso and then topped the rest of it off with booze. Yeah, I was like, oh, of, this is genius. A <laughs> little bit of grappa. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah so, we went yeah. with uh, Sambuca. We had our choices there. So. Coffee corrected. <laughs> <You> know, uh, <laughs> a little bit of uh, caffeine
2: and alcohol.
1: <laughs> absolutely. You know what you can do? Get a nice coffee and with like a, uh, a soup spoon of uh, Curacao into it. It's also a nice little cure.
0: Oh, there we go not going to destroy you for the whole day either no 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 it's wonderful it works i like the uh genre specific like i drank rum last night i always think sugarcane juice is a great uh great cure for a hangover i've never mentioned that but it's good because i can't get fresh sugarcane here like also i so uh, badly wish i could get fresh the, sugar in cane. the
1: caribbeans if you got a beer steep hangover we drink uh, coconut water mm-hmm. yeah, and they, you know it's just uh, just a nice uh Nice they introduced it. I took my daughter, who's uh, she was not i over, I must say, she was young, she's still 17. So, but <laughs> she, she was uh, eight <laughs> and hungover. We really needed to get some coconut, juice. but you know, uh, just a refreshing effect of fresh coconut water that's pretty good.
0: Super. Well, take note, folks, that comes from the master. Um, thank, thank you guys. so much Thanks. for taking the time right. out. Um, we've got a master class to sit through here uh, with you um, in a couple hours, and Arthur's got to. Figure out what time zone he's in, and Man. no travel for you in the near future, though, right? Makes sense out of life, right? No, you're taking a break, done with your wine
2: courses and such. No, no, I I, I need to. Oh, do.
0: no, you got a wine class starting up soon, don't you?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I'll have to talk to
0: you off air about that one, but uh, Alexander, like, thank you so much. Thank this you. was awesome, and uh, thank
1: you so much. Thank you yeah this I, I, I do
0: like the uh, fact that we're uh, we're wrapping up here from our interview uh, we're, we're doing a class at a, ho- a hotel called the alexander yeah that
1: was <laughs> a very nice intention thank <laughs> you guys
0: <laughs> all right well gentlemen thank you so much and uh until next time Cheers, good